Hello, I'm Scott Winnale with TW Now. Years ago, Tim LaHaye's book series, Left Behind, was made into several movies. One of the movies depicted seemingly random people being raptured away to heaven in an instant as Christ stealthily returned to remove them from the earth. In the wake of this rapturing of the saints, death and, and destruction ensued as bus, airplane, and automobile drivers were taken and their vehicles, sometimes filled with hundreds of passengers, were left to plummet to the earth. The impact of these events on the big screen was powerful and sobering as moviegoers witnessed the bloody catastrophes apparently to be experienced by an unrepentant mankind at any point in the future. Many have criticized the secret rapture idea, wondering how a loving Christ could return and inflict so much death and destruction as he saves only a few. Others have questioned the biblical accuracy of the rapture. Still others, even many mainstream Christians, do not even believe in a secret rapture. What is the secret rapture teaching all about, and where did it come from? What does the Bible really have to say about it? Might Jesus Christ return tonight, or is there more to the story? What do you believe about this topic, and can you really prove it from the Bible? To help me answer these legitimate and important questions, I'd like to introduce our two panel members today. Both are returning guests here on TW Now. With me is Mr. Wyatt Saselka. He's a minister, he's been a writer for Tomorrow's World, and he's also been a theology professor. Welcome. Thank you. And also Mr. Wallace Smith. Mr. Smith is a writer for the TW Magazine. He also is a presenter for Tomorrow's World, and he's actually done a Tomorrow's World program on the rapture itself. So welcome. And it's exciting to have you both here on the program with us today. I think it's going to be an interesting program and hopefully very beneficial for our audience. Gentlemen, let me start out, and actually, Mr. Smith, if you would take this question first. Can you briefly describe the concept of the secret rapture? What is it all about? Uh, sure. Uh, the word rapture is a challenging word because uh, to say talk about the rapture, there are so many different ideas, uh, a lot of them floating out, uh, mainly because they're, they're centered on one biblical idea, but then people go from that in different directions. Uh, so let me just talk about where they're anchored in the Bible, uh, and then also uh, what are some of the varieties, but what is the main idea. If you look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17, it talks about Christ's return and Christians, those who are dead, being resurrected, those who are alive at the time, being caught up with Him in the air. Uh, the word there, caught up, if you look at the many old translations of the Bible in different languages, uh, there's a Latin word there for caught up, rapiemus, meaning we are caught up, or uh, from rapere, which means, uh, well, which just means being caught up. But we have this word rapture that comes from that. And that's, that's sort of the center, uh, the swirling, where all this is swirling around people's different ideas. So given those, what has developed, what is the most popular idea, is that Christ is going to come before the tribulation. There are some post-tribulation ideas about the idea of the rapture, but that Christ will come before the tribulation, a seven-year tribulation, which I hope we'll discuss. and that his saints are going to be picked up off the earth and then protected in heaven secretly, that the world won't know where they went, they just all disappear, but they're actually in heaven for seven years with him while the tribulation is taking place on earth. And that's, that's where at the heart, there, again, there are varieties that different people believe. That's what you're going to, if someone says they believe in the rapture, that's what most of them believe in. Okay, and that seems to be the, the rapture story promulgated by uh, traveling evangelists. 
televangelists and even the books and movies that have right. come out. All right, Mr. Seselka, a question for you. How did the rapture wind up as a major doctrine of some Christian denominations, and how long has it been around? It, it's interesting. It may surprise some of our listeners, but it's a fairly new doctrine, uh, and we have to define what we mean by it and the rapture, so we'll probably do that uh, throughout the program. But the concept of a pre-tribulation rapture of the church is fairly new. In scholarly circles, uh, there are uh, debates as to where it began. Uh, there's a uh, debate, uh, which is kind of humorous, uh, where in the 1800s a Scottish lady had some visions and, and it came from there. Um, but it, it's not um, a, an ancient doctrine, it's a very new doctrine. Some of the, the big names that you will run into are people like William Miller. Uh, he's a pretty famous uh, preacher, uh, he was an army officer in the War of 1812, and in the 1820s, he began to study Daniel's, uh, one of the prophecies in Daniel, and believing that the prophecy was recorded in 457, he used the 2300 years or days prophecy to, to arrive at a, a date of 1843 for the return of Christ. And, and he wrestled with this in the 1820s and 30s, and eventually went public with this concept and a, and a teaching of a, of a rapture of the church before the tribulation. That was in the 18, uh, late 1800s. And what's interesting is he was wrong about a lot of things. Uh, first of all, he dated the writing of Daniel er erroneously. It was probably written 536 uh, to 515 or maybe 500 BC, so he was off in a lot of areas. Dwight Pentecost, very famous theologian, died in 2014, uh, taught the rapture, and, and others that, you know, people that we, we know, Billy Graham and Tim LaHaye and others have popularized it, but it's fairly new. It's a fairly new belief in the mainstream Christian world. And so when you say fairly new, just sort of summarizing here, you're talking 1800s to now uh, versus Jesus Christ and the Apostles 2,000 years ago teaching this. It, it did, just didn't happen then, did it? It's, it's uh, maybe as a quick follow-on, when you go back to the earlier church fathers' writings, and we would debate as to whether or not they were accurate in what they taught, uh, but Ignatius is pretty well known uh, in theological circles, and Ignatius wrote in the second century, and he specifically warned and talked about the end of the world, and that Christ would return, the Messiah would come, in, in, in his lifetime potentially very soon but it's interesting when you read his writings he talked about the Antichrist coming first he talked about persecution on the church first he talked about uh, essentially the, the tribulation first and he he did not teach did not teach that the church would be spirited away or raptured away um, uh, to heaven before those events he did not teach that he taught that there would be a persecution upon the world and on and on the church okay yeah, I think that's part of our challenge is it's not that every element of this has not been taught. Uh, the truth of 1 Thessalonians 4.17 that Christians will meet Christ in the air has been there since, since Paul wrote it, since Paul wrote his letter to the Thessalonians. When we say the word rapture, regrettably, it's not just talking about that event. It actually, that word has come to carry a great deal of, of baggage, if you will, uh, concerning all of these other ideas. And that's really what, what we're discussing. It's all the various ideas and theories and interpretations that have sort of been piled on this idea. I think from the beginning, clearly, Paul taught that Christians would meet Christ in the air. But 
you're right, it's kind of odd talking about new teachings when you're really a 2,000-year-old institution. But just like Mr. Sasanka was saying, you're talking about the last couple of hundred years when these things have shown up. So they really are relatively new, these additional ideas. Okay. Let me just interject real quickly. If you're joining us, welcome. We're talking about the secret rapture today. If you do have questions along the way, please feel free to post them to us and we'll do our best to get to them. Coming back to our discussion, uh, the concept of this tribulation was brought up a couple of times by both of you. Can, can one of you define just real briefly, what is this tribulation? When will it happen? You want um, well, so there's, let me address it from a uh, mainstream Christian pre-trib and post-trib theological um, definition. So maybe this will help our, our, our audience to understand. So what uh, is the, the Great Tribulation? Very briefly, and I'll let Mr. Smith jump in and, and, and add, uh, let's just say very briefly that it is a time of war and a time of, of great upheaval uh, on the earth and that it will precede the return of Christ, the day of the Lord, and, and, and the establishment of God's kingdom on the earth. Now, there's, there's a pre-tribulation school, and there's a post-tribulation school, and there are nine or ten differences between those teachings. And so, in mainstream Christianity, there's, there's quite a debate, and I, I wrote down a couple uh, just to make sure that I could be concise. But for example, the pre-tribulation teaching, which is that the church would be raptured away before the tribulation, um, would, would argue that the living Israelites, the living Israelites, and, and the, the mainstream Christian church is very interested in, in the Jews and the Israelites, that there's care about them. So the pre-tribulation rapturists would teach and believe that the living Israelites will be judged at Christ's second coming, for example. Um, whereas the post-tribulation rapturists believe that there is no such judgment. Uh, there are nine or ten different um, different uh, differences there. One more difference, which I'll mention, and then I think it might set you up for something we were talking about earlier, is that the pre-tribulation rapturists would believe that the, there is a seven-year period between the rapture and the return of Christ, that the saints will be raptured and then seven years later will be the return, whereas the post-tribulation rapturists believe really in a single event. The post-tribulation rapturists believe that Christ returns um, after the tribulation, and it's sort of a single event. So there's other differences as well. Okay. Right. We'll, we'll come to, uh, I hope, over the course of this discussion, the trumpet blast and, and those sorts of things that, that, that Jesus Christ prophesied were coming. But amongst those, you do see, starting with uh, around the fifth and sixth trumpet blast, when you really get there, the fifth, that uh, suddenly God is stepping into history. And the idea of tribulation, the word comes from a a Greek word related to pressure, a lot of pressure put on the world. Uh, there is this period, now in mainstream circles, they, some think it's seven years, but you can tell there's even difficulty there because some clearly recognize that if it's seven years, the latter three and a half years are very different than the first three and a half years, the first part of which seems pretty nice, but pretty nice doesn't sound much like tribulation. Uh, the Bible does talk about a three and a half year period, which is is a little more accurate in terms of the count of time, but it's a time when there's a great persecution uh, concerning those Christians who are on the earth, and there's a, there's a split of individuals. There are some protected, not necessarily in heaven. We'll talk about that, I hope, but there are some on the earth that are faithful, uh, some that perhaps are also coming to the faith, and they're under persecution. Uh, various nations are under persecution. We talked about that in some of our booklets, uh, and it's a time of, of really an intensity of these things, persecution, warfare, 
famine, other items, uh, unlike what the world has seen before. And so when we say tribulation, we're generally picturing that period immediately preceding the return of Jesus Christ. Thank you. You know, I, I want to mention real briefly to our audience that we actually published a booklet called Armageddon and Beyond, and you can find this at tomorrowsworld.org. You can download it, you can order it. What I find really interesting and helpful about this booklet actually is the centerfold of the booklet, and it lists a series of different events that will happen in this last three and a half years before Christ returns, along with the scriptures that go along with it. So it gives us just a really clear picture, but here's a pictorial view of it. Uh, so if you want to order this, it may be helpful to you in your studying this topic further. Let me move on to another subject here and, and push us forward. Is the secret rapture a biblical doctrine, or, or what elements of the secret rapture doctrine are biblical is another way to put that. Well, I think one of the most obvious elements, uh, again, elements of the idea, is that there will be a time when Christ does collect His saints. Paul really is very plain about that. He does say it happens at the last trump, if we read that in 1 Corinthians 15. But he does say that he will come, that those saints who are dead will be resurrected. So the entire body of, of dead Christians on the earth. We say saints often, and in this world that word has been messed up a bit, sometimes thinking that it's particular special individuals. But using it in the biblical sense of all of those who have been uh, baptized, forgiven of their sins, they're a part of the body of Christ or the church, that all of those who have died uh, are in Christ are resurrected to meet Him and then immediately after, because there is an order, that those who are alive at the time of Christ's return to collect them, that they will be also transformed. And that is the, uh, what later the book of Revelation calls uh, the first resurrection. And so that, that is a very clearly biblical element that is a part of, of all this, at least one. Okay. Mr. Selka. You know, I think that the fact that God uh, promised in John and elsewhere, that, and, and Christ promised, you know, Christ specifically, Jesus Christ, that He would return. Uh, fundamentally, and that might be almost the most simplistic answer to that question, but fundamentally we believe and the Bible teaches and, and really rapturists believe that, that Jesus Christ will return. And uh, so fundamentally that would be a, a, a thing we would agree with you know, the rapture is on, that, that, that Christ will return. Now, when, what happens exactly, that's where we would have some differences. Mm -hmm. Right. I think another element would be that if you read carefully, there, there is a brief period where the resurrected and glorified saints do appear before their Father. The Bible talks about the, the marriage of the Lamb. We'll get into a challenge if we're going to talk about the differences, and I believe that's going to follow, so I'm going to hold off on that. But when they are resurrected, there is an appearance before the Father very briefly, not a number of years, because we're only talking about a span of a very few days. But even Jesus Christ in His own resurrection, if you read the account carefully, at me, shortly after He was resurrected and the, the women saw Him after they come out of the tomb, uh, He said, you know, don't touch me, I, don't cling to me, I haven't ascended to the Father. Uh, at the time that paralleled the wave sheaf offering in Israel that was going on at the same time, an offering to be accepted by the Father. But then later, as they're running to tell the rest of the disciples, He appears to them again and they do grab Him by the feet and He doesn't forbid them. And so the implication is there that there, even for Jesus Christ, there was an appearance before the Father mm -hmm. to be accepted. Uh, and we would expect that just like our Savior, those who are resurrected like Him, there would be that. But again, we're not going to be talking about years as we're seeing. We're just talking about a, a brief span yeah. of days, right? Let me ask you this, because 
I think, Mr. Selka, you brought up the idea that the secret rapture theory teaches that um, these saints will be raptured away to heaven to protect them from the tribulation. Is there any truth to that idea of protecting the saints from the tribulation? <clears throat> one of the most important, yes, one of the most important scriptures to turn to would be in Revelation. I'll just turn there very quickly. Uh, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, we have this, this promise that some people who believe in the rapture will, will turn to, and it's a promise to protect God's saints during this time of great tribulation. And it reads as follows, because you have kept my command to persevere, speaking of, of uh, you know, the, the saints, the church, uh, I will also keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who uh, dwell on the earth. So there are many who will read that and they will say, well, there you have um, a promise of, of protection. Now, I'll let Mr. Smith maybe, or, or you can, uh, can, can, we can turn elsewhere in Revelation and look at where that protection will be, will, will be, right. but, but where are there some similarities? Um, th there, one of the areas of agreement would be that God does promise to protect right. his saints, the church, during that time of tribulation. Where is, is really an important question. Right. It, it might be something best saved in the most part for the next part if we're going to talk about differences. Well, let's, let's just move let's into the that, next but, part okay, and, and begin to talk about where the secret rapture doctrine may differ from the scripture. Okay. Well, then let's go ahead and key off on this. Uh, like Mr. Saselka mentioned, God does promise protection to some. It really is interesting when you begin to get into the details concerning Revelation that there are some Christians who are on the earth uh, that, that were a bit lukewarm about their faith and need to go through trial and testing. But then there are those Christians who are protected during this time of tribulation. And Revelation chapter 12 contains a prophecy related to that. And it explains with a woman picturing the church. It says in verse 14 of Revelation 12, But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she's nourished for a time, times, and half a time. That's three and a half years in, in biblical uh, uh, chronology in that way, uh, from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. So here we have conflict and attempt. This isn't people just disappearing. This is actually someone traveling. It says the earth uh, helped the woman. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of its mouth. And then it says in verse 17, the dragon was enraged with the woman and went to make war with the rest of her offspring. So there were some actually that were still, um, I want to say left behind, I don't want to use <laughs> that word, but uh, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. But the key details to notice are one, it says she flees into the wilderness. The Bible just does not use the word wilderness to picture heaven symbolically ever. It really implies a place on earth. When the Bible is talking about wilderness, it is always speaking of a place on earth. If, it's, if it was speaking of heaven, this would be the only place. And it doesn't even fit as an analogy. We try to use the Bible to interpret the Bible, and that would imply this is a place on earth. Now, people have pointed out, well, it says she was given two wings of a great eagle. And so perhaps that's meant to depict flying. Mm -hmm. But we would have to highlight, and I wrote them down so I wouldn't mess them up, verses like Exodus 19 verse 4, right. where God told Israel, recall how I brought you out of Egypt uh, with the wings of an eagle. 
and you know, I think they wished they perhaps had been flying out of Egypt, but they were walking the whole way. So right. this passage is a clear difference. It doesn't picture uh, the church being protected in heaven. It clearly pictures a protection on earth. You know, an interesting point in that verse to me as well. Um, she's brought into the wilderness, it says, to her place. And that word place in the Greek is topos. Uh, which is where we get our word topography or mm. topographical, which really infers a geographical location. So there are a number of pieces there that seem to indicate it, it's not going to be heaven where they're going to be protected. Right. If, if you read that verse in Revelation chapter 12, uh, and you look at the Greek, it's really, as, as you gentlemen are both saying, the, the, the church will be taken to a rugged area, a rugged wilderness area, it, and it will be a certain location on the map. A certain location on the map, top topography. Yeah. Uh, Paul used the same word uh, that John used there in Revelation 12, uh, eremos, and that means the wilderness. And when Paul was talking about uh, Israel being, um, uh, their bodies being scattered in the, in the wilderness in ancient times, and when Paul was, was in fear of his life in the wilderness. So as uh, Mr. Smith was saying, that, that does not represent God's throne or, or heaven. It's a, it's a, a rugged place on the earth where, where the church is going to be protected during that time, not in heaven. Okay, so we've, we've reviewed a few things so far. We've talked about how um, as rapturists teach it, there are some, some uh, biblical foundations for what they teach and the fact that Christ is going to return to the earth. Uh, his saints are going to rise to meet him in the air at some point. They will be um, at, at, at another point is what we're talking about. Before that, they're going to be taken to a place where they're going to be protected from the tribulation that's going to happen. That place is not going to be in heaven. It's on earth. What are some other areas where the secret rapture doctrine or teaching differs from the scripture? There's another in that it's not a secret at all. Uh, it's actually a very public event when the saints are taken up to meet Jesus Christ and whenever they are transformed. If you look in Matthew chapter 24 uh, in verses uh, 30 and 31, uh, it actually describes this time and it gives a sequence of these events which actually tie it into the Holy Days which is uh, something else I hope we can bring out. But in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 30, Jesus Christ is prophesying at this time and He says, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. Now some people think that has to be some particular graphic of some sort or like a cross, but Jesus Christ talks about doing signs. They're just things that show there's, there's something divine, there's something miraculous happening. It says, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. That's all of mankind, uh, you know, mourning and, and in despair because of the things that are happening. And they will see the tribes of the earth. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And then he says, the very next verse, and he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other, meaning just the entire span of, uh, of, of earth and where we live. So that seems very plain. They need to be gathered together. Uh, the, la the trumpet, which has been associated with the resurrection, we'll hopefully get to talk about in other verses. This is not a secret event. As he says elsewhere, it's about lightning flashing from one end of heaven to the other. This is something the entire world sees. It is in no way a, a secret rapture. 
Jesus, Jesus Christ specifically warns the church to not be fooled or deceived when people say, you know, the Christ is over here or the Christ is over right. there. But as Mr. Smith said, you know, when he comes, it'll be as lightning flashes from the east to the west, a very public um, event. And it's preceded, I'd like to reference a little bit in Zechariah 14, mm -hmm. uh, Matthew 24, which Mr. Smith brought out, that's Jesus Christ answering uh, for us, what are the events? And I would encourage our, our listeners to just read Matthew 24, read it. That is the Messiah, that is Jesus Christ answering the question regarding what events will precede his coming. And there is no indication that, that you're just sitting at home watching a football game or you're in an airplane and all of a sudden you go to heaven and, and it's just a, a surprise. That is contradictory. But if you look in uh, Zechariah 14, there are other events that are very plainly stated that will precede Christ's return. I'll just mention a couple. Zechariah 14, verse 1. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. Your spoil will be divided in your midst. All nations will gather uh, to battle against Jerusalem. So right there we have this clear picture of, of war. And, you know, we, we don't have time to get into who's going to be at war with who and so forth. But it's not a time of peace. Verse 3, the Lord will go forth and fight against the nations as he fights in the day of battle. That is not a secret. That is, we're not just sitting around enjoying, you know, our, our whatever, and, and all of a sudden we're, we're whisked off to heaven. The Mount of Olives will be split in two. I mean, these are the events that precede or occur at his return. So I won't, uh, I won't continue, but it, 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 I do want to add that even there in Zechariah, the ancient prophets had an understanding that I think uh, sometimes we don't always appreciate. And God, of course, inspired all these words. And right here in Zechariah 14, verse 5, the end of verse 5, very telling, God inspired Zechariah to say, Thus the Lord my God will come, and all the saints with him. All the saints with him. It should be him, uh, not you. In the Vulgate and others, it would be him. All the saints. So if you go back to 1 Thessalonians, and we talk about um, those who are changed and so forth, even back in Zechariah 14, there was this understanding of all the saints. That would include those who were, who were previously dead and those who were still alive. Will, will, will be changed and, and resurrected and so forth at Christ's return. But a lot of events precede the, 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 the change. I wanted to come back to a concept. Uh, it's related to this, but it's one Mr. Smith just read in Matthew 24 about a, a sound of a trumpet preceding the rising of the saints. You mentioned 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, which also mentions this trumpet. You've referenced 1 Corinthians 15, which mentions a trumpet, but what's the, what's the significance of this trumpet? And does that trumpet give us any idea of a sequence of events or, or, or any kind of timing? It, it really does. The, the Bible talks about in the book of Revelation a sequence of seven trumpets, which really clarifies what, what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 52. He talks about how in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, that this is when these things will happen. It says the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. Well, Paul clearly understood something. At the last trumpet, well, last indicates a sequence of some sort, and then God provides that sequence. He explains in the book of Revelation that there's a sequence of seven trumpets. 
and it is at the seventh trumpet, uh, you read in Revelation chapter, um, chapter 11, that that's when uh, Christ is declared king. All the kingdoms of the world have become his kingdoms. There's still a bit of business to take care of. The devil's still running around. There's armies to amass at Armageddon that haven't gathered yet. But at that last trumpet, when the kingdom is declared, that is after so many other events. You have a third of you know, vegetation burning up. You have uh, uh, waters afflicted. You have uh, what looks perhaps to be a nuclear exchange take place, or at least something like it, uh, you have a time of absolute and utter turmoil uh, leading up to that seventh trumpet. So the idea that life will just be happening as normal up to that point is, uh, really does not match with the biblical description at all. If I could, if I could just add and reinforce uh, what Mr. Smith and what you are, are talking about, this is not a new concept. This, this might sound odd to a lot of the, the mainstream Christians out there, uh, and really it's because the, 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 the pastors, frankly, and the ministers uh, are not teaching the truth, and they're not teaching what the, Bible, what the Bible teaches. And the reality is the concept of a trumpet blast preceding Christ's return is, uh, goes back all the way through the early New Testament church. In, in Matthew 24, Jesus Christ himself, as we've discussed, Jesus Christ himself said, look, there's going to be a, this, the blast of a trumpet before my return. Uh, as Mr. Smith mentioned, and, and you mentioned in Revelation, it talks about the trumpets and the seven trumpets. Going back to Joel chapter 2, in the Old Testament, back to Joel chapter 2, you have, the, you have God revealing and stating very plainly that there would be a trumpet and trumpet blast that would precede the day of the Lord and Christ's return. So it is, um, it's a shame that, frankly, so many of the, of the, of the, the, the pastors out there uh, who should just study their Bible uh, have, have, have invented this new concept of this secret rapture, which again, I'll say again, was not even uh, a belief until about 150 to 200 years ago. Right. Prior to then, uh, the cons there, there were different concepts, but, but there, there was really no documented notion in Christian theology that things are going along fine and there's this change. It, it does not exist. There, there's different uh, amillennial and premillennial and postmillennial type returns, but there was always the notion of persecution, the Antichrist, the harlot, things like that, um, some sort of protection of God's church, or maybe not. There was always that notion, not this secret, uh, you know, things are going well and there's a secret change. <clears throat> We're running out of time as I look at the clock here, so I want to wind down. Before I do that, though, I want to just summarize really briefly, based on what we've just been talking about, the, the idea that the, or what the Scripture teaches, that there's going to be a sequence of events and a series of trumpets, and Christ comes at the last one after all of these cataclysmic events happen all around the world, is really a clear indication that Christ is not going to return tonight. He can't because these events have not happened, and God's scriptures cannot be broken. So I think that's, that's an important thing to remember. It is. As we wind down here, I want to hit you with a final question and, and help us really summarize, but what are some of the big takeaways from today? If you can share with our audience, each of you, a major takeaway that you'd like to leave the audience with in regard to the secret rapture, what might that be? Well, sure, I, I think two things. One would be don't fall into the trap of believing something just because so many good, wonderful, sincere people around you believe it. Uh, John 17, 17, Jesus Christ says, your word is truth. You know, we really do need to go to the Bible to check on these things. And things sincerely believed aren't necessarily true. But that said, the second takeaway of, of 
the two that come to my mind is building on what you just said a while ago, which I really appreciated. I would encourage our readers, one, to feel free and get our, our booklet on Revelation, actually. It, it has a beautiful chart that helps explain all of this, but if they'd like to know the events around meeting Christ in the air and those things, the Bible lays it out in such amazing detail. We know that those events, the events of 1 Thessalonians 4.17, happen at the last trump. Then just go to the book of Revelation and read that sequence of trumpets and you will know what is going on on the earth over, as we explain in the booklet, a one-year period leading up to that. And then you'll know what happens immediately afterwards, which uh, the bold judgments, which can only take place over a few days. Uh, God really does lay it out, but you won't see it in a, in a book by Tim LaHaye. You won't see it in some of these popular items. But yet, God does put the details there. And so just check your understanding with the Bible. Mm, that's really helpful. Thank you. Mr. Selka. I, I would just mention very briefly, I agree with everything uh, Mr. Smith just recommended. And, uh, you know, trust your Bible, read your Bible, prove it from your Bible. But we have resources that can help you. Go to tomorrowsworld.org and, and in the little search bar, type in things like rapture, will you left behind, secret rapture, rev. Uh, you know, resurrection, and, and that will help you in your own study, of course, prove it from the Bible. And the other comment I would just simply make is that when people see how events are getting uh, scary in the world, and, and you know, we do see that there are uh, wars and rumors of wars and so forth, just remember that Jesus Christ did promise He, he will return. He will return, and He will not leave you, um, leave you abandoned, leave you orphaned. Um, there are some you know, tumultuous times to come, but he did promise to return, so there is hope. And of course, that means that there's obligation to change and worship him as our true Lord and Savior. But uh, just have hope in Christ's return. That's a good starting point, at least, and then follow that up with some good Bible study and prayer. Thank you. Gentlemen, thank you for being on the program today. Thanks for your insight. I think this, this is really practical as we begin to study the scripture and try and tease out of it what does it say, but what does it not say? The secret rapture is a doctrine that has gained much notoriety in recent decades, particularly among evangelical Christians. This has been due in part to the worldwide campaigns of popular televangelists, as well as high-grossing movies in the theater. As we've begun to show on today's program, the idea of a secret rapture of the saints by Jesus Christ is actually not biblical. The rapture teaching certainly does have some foundation in the Bible, but there are a number of biblical problems with it as well. The biggest problem with the rapture teaching has to do with a misunderstanding of the sequence of end time events as we've discussed today. The exciting reality is that we can know the truth about the return of Christ, and that truth is clearly outlined in the Scripture. The key to understanding it, however, is to use the entirety of Scripture, and not just succumb to proof texting from a few Scriptures selected based on a topic. We must all read all of the Scriptures on a topic to understand what God really intends. For a more detailed explanation about the truth of the rapture and a more exhaustive list of Bible verses that apply, be sure to read our very helpful article on the secret rapture, false hope for end time Christians. Again, as Mr. Soselka mentioned, feel free to search our website at tomorrowsworld.org using rapture and other things like this as search terms. You might be surprised at what you find and at how helpful they are. While there, you can also look at our booklet on Revelation, as was mentioned, and one more that relates, is this the only day of salvation? 
For more encouraging news about the future and more answers to today's biggest questions, visit us on tomorrowsworld.org and please stay tuned to TW Now each week. We look forward to seeing you again next time. And next time, by the way, we plan to discuss world peace. Will it happen? Please stay tuned and we'll see you next time.